Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Our scripture reading was so well read by Sister Fernie. And I'd like to just read it again. This is a scripture that we all prefer not to hear. Who wants to be persecuted? But the Lord says what? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The title of the message today has been adjusted slightly from stand up to stand up for Jesus. Let us pray. O oh Lord my God, you alone know why you have brought me this far to speak your word. Help me to speak your word as it was spoken to me. Help your people to hear your word and help us to rejoice in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From the beginning of time, right up until a day like today, history is filled with people who have been persecuted just because of what they stand up for. In the political world, Aung San Suu Kyi, now the Burmese opposition politician and chairperson of the National League for Democracy in Burma, spent 15 years under house arrest for standing up for democracy. Dr. Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for 27 years when he stood up against the injustice of apartheid in South Africa. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested five times and then assassinated when he stood up for nonviolent resistance to racism in the United States of America. In the religious world, out of all the religions that exist today, Christians are the most persecuted. Rupert Short's recent research report for Civitas UK stated, we may not want to hear it, but Christianity is in peril like no other religion. According to the persecution watchdog organization called Open Doors, Indian Christians experienced almost as many attacks in the first half of 2017 as they did in the entire year of 2016. There were 410 reported incidents targeting Indian Christians in the first six months of this year. Last year, there were 441 reported incidents in total. In the Middle East today, Muslim extremists are wreaking havoc on Christians. They say that Christians should leave or die. Now get this. If a Muslim converts to Christianity in those Muslim countries, 
They are called apostates. Zaya Merrill, a London-based Turkish scholar, writes, apostates are subject to gross and wide-ranging human rights abuses, including extrajudicial killings by state-related agents or mobs, and these apostates face honor killings by family members. They face detention, imprisonment, torture, physical and psychological intimidation by security forces, the denial of access to judicial services and social services, the denial of equal employment or education opportunities, social pressure resulting in loss of housing and employment, and day-to-day -day discrimination and ostracism in education, finance, and social activities. Fear in the Muslim population has made it difficult for Muslims to be witness to. But thank God, not impossible. Muslims today are still being converted to Christianity. The persecution of Christians is not new. The word of God in itself is laced with people who stood up for the Lord and who paid a high price for it. From the beginning of the Bible, Abel was persecuted by his brother Cain just because he stood up for God following exactly what God had instructed him to do when his brother didn't want to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for God, not bowing down to a graven image, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace for it. Daniel was cast into a lion's den because he stood up for the Lord instead of worshiping anyone else. They tried to deep fry John, the disciple of Christ, in boiling oil, but the oil wouldn't burn him, so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos just because he stood up for Jesus. Jesus Christ himself was persecuted the worst. He was marginalized, he was harassed, he was oppressed, he was beaten to the point of being disfigured both in face and in form, according to what Isaiah says. And then he was crucified for standing up in defense of the word of God. Anytime people stand up for their faith in God, they can rest assured that the light they shine makes the world very uncomfortable. As a result, the world becomes fearful, scornful, and even hostile towards them. Is there something wrong with people standing up for Jesus? First, let's find out what it means to stand up for someone. To stand up for someone, according to dictionary.com, means to support that person or to defend the cause of that person. Christians who are persecuted because they stand up for Jesus have Jesus' interests at heart rather than their own interests. They stand on Jesus' side, come what may, and are committed to supporting him and defending his cause at all costs. 
The decision made to stand up for Jesus, therefore, is not for fly-by-night, wishy-washy people who one day they are standing and the next day they are not. The decision is made by people who have valid reasons for standing up for Jesus and who have made up their minds that they will not turn their back on Jesus when the going gets tough. So what valid reasons would a person have to stand up for Jesus? The Bible says in John 3:16, we all know that text. Can you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those who stand up for Jesus appreciate the love shown for them in this unselfish act of God. They are blown away by what Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 to 8 says about Jesus. And it says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. To clarify what Jesus did, the Seventh-day Adventist Commentary, volume 7, page 154, stated that Jesus, because of his love for humanity, while conscious of his equality with God, decided to forego the glory associated with that altered state, took on the essential attributes of a slave, rendering unquestionable obedience to his father in order to accomplish his compassionate purpose of saving mankind. He humiliated himself to the extent of taking on the body of a created being and dying a shameful death on the cross inasmuch as he was subject to the same desires to preserve his life as we are. People choose to stand up for Jesus when they understand the great sacrifice that Jesus made for them, knowing that they were doomed to die because of their sins. They stand up for Jesus knowing that as creator, he could have just wiped them out and created a new set of humans, saving himself the agony of a cruel death on the cross. They stand up for Jesus when they see the amount of patience Jesus has with them as they fall into sin and are lifted out of sin from day to day. They stand up for Jesus as they experience his constant hedge of protection and see the unending mercy he shows them as he tries to rescue them from the wicked devices of the enemy. Their hearts go out to Jesus in gratitude and in love. The love they have for Jesus is not a regular love, like one who loves their neighbors. Their love for Jesus encompasses their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And they can't help but place him first in their life, 
before their family, before themselves, and they gladly take up their cross and follow him, doing whatever it takes, enduring without complaining whatever persecution comes their way because of their stand for him. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Sincere love for Jesus puts everything else in our life as second place and drives us to stand up for Jesus come what may. This doesn't mean that we don't love ourselves and family. It just means that nothing will be allowed to interfere with our stand for Jesus. Now, there are four things that would prevent us from standing up for Jesus. We cannot stand up for Jesus if we don't know him. A lot of us claim to know Jesus, but we really don't. To know about him is not to know him. To know Jesus is to study his word that has creative power, allowing his powerful word to change our life, giving us the love needed to treat our fellow men as we would like to be treated, giving us the peace needed amidst the storm, giving us the courage and confidence needed to face trying times. To know Jesus is to depend on his live, creative word to do what it says. Not knowing how he will do it, but knowing that he will do it in his time. To know Jesus is to trust that his promises are true. To believe that he will be with us in every situation. Accepting that he went to prepare a place for us in heaven actively waiting for him to come back to take us home to live with him. Without his words solidly imprinted in our heart, we cannot defend ourselves from the darts of the enemy, and we will not be able to stand up for him. To know Jesus is to communicate with him in prayer. He is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can call upon him at any time, anywhere, and he will hear us. Psalms 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. To know Jesus is to be confident that when we pray, our prayers will be answered. Not according to our will, but according to his will. John 15 verse 16 says, he have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Without communicating with Jesus, we will not know him well enough to be confident, to be to, to be able to stand at his word. 
We cannot stand up for Jesus if we love our family more than him. Some of us make gods of the families that God blessed us with. We worship them and pour out all of our resources and all of our energy into their life without realizing that the love your neighbor as yourself commandment is not just about our families alone. We love our families so much that when our family disapproves of our stand for Jesus, we back right out of the very thought of standing up for Jesus. God's word says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Third point, we cannot stand up for Jesus if we love ourselves more than Jesus. Many of us choose to just be about satisfying our selfish desires, joining in the pleasures of this world and looking just about our own interests. The Bible says that we need to deny ourselves Stop controlling our own lives and allow Jesus to take over control of our lives. Otherwise, we cannot stand up for Jesus. Some of us have convinced ourselves that we can do both. We can take care of our own interests while trying to stand up for Jesus. James chapter 1 verse 8 states, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He has no firm grip on anything. He is unreliable. He is confusing. And he is very easily influenced by sight and by feelings. When under pressure to choose between himself and Jesus, he sits on the fence. He cannot stand up for Jesus. The fourth point is you cannot stand up for Jesus if you cannot bear your cross. Listen to this. Governments and strangers, employers and co-workers, family and friends in this world most likely will not approve of your decision to stand up for Jesus. They show disapproval, not by necessarily saying so, but by marginalizing you, trying to decrease your importance, taking away opportunities from you. They could end up harassing you, threatening you, insulting you, and annoying the daylights out of you. The winds of strife are still held back. But signs of the times are showing that it is being released at an alarming rate. So depending on where you live, like in the Middle East, you will have no control of your own life. Don't believe that it won't reach us here in Canada. There are Christians who stand up for Jesus here too. And before Jesus returns, the Bible says that there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been. 
the world will reach as far as destroying our life if they could for Jesus' sake. Bear your cross, the Bible says. I just need to park here for a moment. There is something that we can cherish within us that can prevent us from bearing our cross. It is something called deadly emotions. Deadly emotions are those emotions such as fear, anger, resentment, worry, guilt, and unforgiveness that can derail every goal that we set in our life, including bearing our cross. I have no time to go into the details of how this happens right now, but these emotions can intoxicate us so much that if not gotten rid of, they will interfere with our ability to be vigilant so that we can't recognize the things that come our way interfering with our stand for Jesus. If we allow these deadly emotions to take over us and not use that power, that love, and that sound mind that God has given us, we will not be able to bear our cross and stand up for Jesus. Luke 12, verses 4, verses 4 and 5, sorry, Luke 12, verses 4 and 5 says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he have killed have power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Many of us have become Christians and have never thought about what it takes to stand up for Jesus. The Bible itself says that we need to count the cost of taking that stand for Jesus before we take it. The Lord does not want us to waste our time pretending to stand up for him. And when the time comes to stand, we won't. Who said that standing up for Jesus would be a piece of cake? To make the decision to stand up for Jesus is difficult. Why is it difficult? It is difficult because it is not like making a decision to choose what outfit to wear to come to church. It is difficult because it is life-changing. To stand up for Jesus not only shapes who we are, but it also shapes our future. Kezia Gray, an RN, author, and health education specialist in her online article entitled Five Steps to Good Decision Making says that in addition to identifying the purpose of your goal and gathering the necessary information that is directly related to your goal, she says consider the consequences. By taking into consideration the risks and benefits involved in your decision to stand up for Jesus, you get to examine yourself. You get to decide if you truly want the benefits of standing up for Jesus, and if you really want to take the risk of facing the treatment that comes with the package of standing for Jesus. 
In weighing the consequences, we can make an intelligent decision. We need to realize, though, that when we decide to stand up for Jesus, we won't be standing on our own. My Bible tells me that as human beings with the wicked and deceitful heart that we have, it is impossible for us to stand up for Jesus on our own. But the word of God doesn't leave us stranded. In fact, Jesus says in John 15 verse 5, John 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. The powerful word of God is saying that without that daily communion with Jesus, it is impossible to reveal the characteristics of one who stands up for Jesus. Jesus, knowing this, Revealed in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 9, the attitude to have that would give us the ability to stand up for Jesus. He let us know, in no uncertain terms, that we are blessed and highly favored when we are able to examine ourselves to see that we are lacking the right spirit within us to stand up for him. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter or the, the, the few verses I'm just going to summarize it in a nutshell but it says Jesus tells us that when we mourn over how our sins affect him and when we humble ourselves in being meek so that we can be forgiven we are well on our way to standing up for Jesus a lot of us have problems with meekness the Lord is available to help us. Thank you, Lord. As we move along in the Beatitudes, Jesus lets us know that after we have emptied ourselves of self and are hungry and thirsty for his word, he will fill us with the fruit that will enable us to treat our fellow men the way he would treat them, with mercy peacemaking, and dealing with them with a pure heart. And then he ends with our scripture reading, Matthew 5, 10 to 12, giving the consequences of standing up for Jesus. He says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as if that is not clear enough, he goes on to explain in detail what that means. Verse 11 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In other words, Jesus is saying that you will be highly favored by him when men criticize you and insult you slandering your name, mistreating you, and abusing you for his sake. Thank God, he says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20, that them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. We serve a mighty God. 
an omniscient God. He is saying that I see you in your situation. I see you in your sadness. I see you in your sickness and in your disappointment. I know what you are going through. I see you because I am right there with you. Nothing ever catches me by surprise. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, and I'm starting from verse 1, it says, Psalms 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. When, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Verse 11 says, If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13 says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Jesus is saying that before we were born, he was involved in our development and has been with us ever since. He is not leaving us alone. There is nothing we can go through that he is not aware of. No joy, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness. Every single thing that we experience, he experiences it with us. He is intricately involved in our lives. So when we are persecuted, can you imagine the agony he feels? But he says, despite what you are going through, rejoice. Rejoice? He says rejoice. And not only rejoice, be exceedingly glad. No need to get all out of sorts looking for pity because of persecution. No need to open your eyes wide, complaining to your friends and family because of it. Don't even relax and say, oh well, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. He says rejoice when you are treated unfairly at home and you can't find work and you are laid off for the Sabbath's sake. Rejoice when you are scorned and left out of family functions for Christ's sake. Rejoice when you are treated like you are insignificant by others because you stand up for Jesus. Rejoice. He says rejoice. Have a celebration. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
There is no getting away from persecution. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 states, Ye, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The world gets upset when we stand up for Jesus. John chapter 15 verse 19 says, John chapter 15 verse 19 says, If he were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Laura McAllister, a research student, gave a number of reasons why the world hates someone who stands up for Jesus. She says, the Christian's righteous way of living, along with their open testimony, are a reproof to the world who resent their evil ways being exposed. That is why, as a Christian in the workforce, you will find that some people don't want to work with you because they cannot be themselves. They get antsy in your presence because they feel the need to control their tongue. They will apologize for the things that escapes their mouth when they know that you are standing up for Jesus. Even in our churches, when you stand up for Jesus, certain people will not invite you to their get-togethers. You are considered as one who will spoil the fun, one who will hinder the natural flow of things. That is why the Bible says in John 3 chapter Sorry, John chapter 3, verse 20. John chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The world not only hates those who stand up for Jesus because of the reproof, but they are influenced by the father of lies, Satan, our accuser. Satan tells the world that those who stand up for Jesus are thieves, drawing people away from the world. He says that those who stand up for Jesus are a, are a potential threat to national security because they seek justice and righteousness. He says that standing up for Jesus promotes human sorry. He says that those who stand up for Jesus promote human rights and democracy, opposing violence, corruption, and exploitation of the poor. The world is told that they should fight against those who stand up for Jesus because they will fight against decisions made by the government that is contrary to the Bible teachings. Satan, our accuser, has managed to manipulate the world into targeting the children of God who in their eyes are considered meek with the assumption that they are weak. They don't realize that meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is power under control. John chapter 15 verses 20 and 21 states, 
John 15, 20 and 21 states, Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The devil has used different means to interfere with the world's knowledge about Jesus. He has brought in self-satisfaction, the media, the internet, the cell phones, and little does the world know that they are being deprived of the best thing that could happen to them. The real enemy, therefore, is not those who treat us scornfully and make us lose our jobs. The real enemy is not those who persecute us. The real enemy is who? Satan. So why is Satan trying to prevent us from standing for Jesus? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. Reading from the King James Version, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And verse 12 says, Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And verse 13 says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast out into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. The book Revelation of Jesus Christ is a commentary by Ranko Stefanovic, pages, 13, pages 398 and 399 states, that Satan is furious because he lost the battle in heaven. He is furious because he was expelled from heaven. He's furious because the, his rule over the earth has passed to Jesus Christ. He is furious because he's come because his complaining and accusation of God's people day and night has now rebound against him. He is furious because he has, he has just a little bit of time left. Satan has been humiliated. Nobody likes to lose. 
Nobody likes to be humiliated. So he pours out his anger against those who seem to be weaker. He pours out his anger on those who stand up for Jesus. He wants Jesus to feel the pain of watching his creation in agony. His creation who he spends time with, who he protects, and who he has sacrificed his life for. But Revelation speaks about a Michael and his angels that stood up against Satan and his angels. Who is this Michael? Yes, I hear you say Jesus. And you are right. But many people don't believe that it is Jesus. So for their sake, I'm going to allow the Bible to reveal that. The name Michael means who is like God. Jude chapter 1 verse 9, Jude chapter 1 verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Jesus, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Here we can see that Michael is referred to as the archangel who once again stands up against the dragon, the devil, Satan, for Moses' body, who the devil wanted to put on display. Michael is here referred to as an archangel, not because he's a created angel, but because he is like God. He is fully divine and the commander and chief of all the angels. In the Bible, there are many instances where the word angel, which means messenger, is referred to as to Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, was the greatest messenger of all time. Do you agree? One example of angel referring to Jesus Christ is in Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 to 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just mention just some brief things in verse 7 and verse 13. In that scripture, the angel of the Lord visited Hagar and delivered a message to her. And Hagar referred to that angel of the Lord as the Lord and God. She was talking to Jesus Christ. The Gill Bible Commentary agrees with the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary that this Michael is Jesus Christ. And one of the key characteristics of Michael the Archangel is that he stands up for his people and delivers them. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 states, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. In this passage, Michael the archangel is referred to as the great prince. Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 5, 30 and 31 is also called a prince. So why is Jesus called Michael then? The name Michael is the name of Jesus before he became flesh. And after he returned to heaven, he resumed that name again. Daniel is saying 
that Michael, the archangel, the great prince, is going to stand up to Satan one more time to deliver his people who have been marginalized, who have been harassed, who have been oppressed, who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus is the same Michael, the archangel, who did, who did not deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, but stood up in the fiery furnace with them, turning the, fi the furnace into an air condition. He is the same Michael who did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den, but went into the lion's den and stood up with Daniel, closing the lion's mouth. He is the same Michael who stood up for Joseph in the prison. This same Michael stood up in the jail with the apostles when at midnight their chains fell off and they walked out of the jail. This same Michael stood up for John the Revelator inside of the pot of boiling water, cooling that boiling, sorry, inside of the pot of boiling oil, cooling that boiling oil down that it could not touch John. Many of us try to avoid this blessing. We don't want to be persecuted for righteousness sake. But the Bible says those who stand up for Christ will be persecuted because he was persecuted. Michael may not always deliver us from our situation, but he promised to be right there in the situation with us. Many who have stood up for Christ have died in the process and are called martyrs. But my Bible tells me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, that one of these days, Jesus himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Michael will have a shout that everyone on the earth can hear, but not everyone can utter. This shout can only come from the voice of the commander of millions of angels. This shout can only come from the voice of the life giver. This shout can only come from the one whose voice commanded Lazarus to come forth, and he came. Michael the Archangel, Jesus Christ himself, will be back to stand up for his people. And he's coming with a shout that unlocks the graves of those who stand up for him. He's coming with a shout that removes the sting of death. He's coming with a shout that recreates people in the twinkling of an eye. And those that stand up for Jesus shall rise up to meet Jesus in the air. That same Michael who has stood up for his people in the past and who will stand up for his people in the future is the same Michael who is standing up for us today. Do you feel persecuted today? Are you criticized and feel forsaken? Are you the only one in your family who is standing up for Jesus today and is treated with scorn? Do you feel persecuted by members in your own church? The apostles in Acts chapter 4 and 5 were heavily persecuted, not from outside the church, but from within it. The elders, the priests, and many others persecuted them. Even right here in this congregation, you can experience subtle persecution from your own fellow worshipers. Whatever you are going through today, 
Michael the Archangel who stood up for Daniel, who stood up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood up for John, is the same Michael who will stand up for you. That same Michael who stood up against the devil and prevailed against him will be the same Michael who will stand up for you and me. There will be a final deliverance from all of Satan's strongholds, from all forms of injustices, from all financial burdens, from all sin, from all persecutions, from all sickness, and finally from the grave. Michael the Archangel will step out and stand up for his people. Will you stand for Jesus today? Let me see all the hands of those who is willing to stand up for Jesus, come what may. Praise the Lord. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? O powerful and mighty God, here we are once again. We have made up our mind to stand up for you, come what may. Forgive us where we have failed in the past in standing up for you, Lord. Cleanse us from all of those deadly emotions that interfere with our standing for you. Help us to stay focused on the love that you have poured so marvelously at the cross for us, Lord Jesus. Help us to call upon you in our day of trouble and you will deliver us. We appreciate your sacrifice. We appreciate all that you have done for us, Lord. And as each of us go to our various homes today and as we gather to eat wherever we may be, Lord Jesus, help us to continue to stand up for you because we know that you are standing up for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.